Praise the Lord. Welcome back from your Chinese New Year celebration. I trust that you have had a good one. Although there were quite a number of cases where it wasn't so pleasant, but thank God for His grace upon each one of you. We have had our members who have lost their loved ones. We have had members who have uh, uh, had burglary in the house. We have had all kinds of cases, but praise God, our God is still a good God. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise God. So welcome back even to the house of the Lord. And I have something very important to share with us even this morning as we look into the Word of the Lord that will really, really, you know, uh, inspire each one of us to be what God wants us to be. Just a reminder once again about this one-minute witness. I can tell you this may be the most important science seminar you will ever attend. The most important seminar you will ever attend that will change your life, your life and that will also change even, even uh, 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 your eternity, even in heaven. I'll tell you a little bit more in a short while. But let us look into the Word of the Lord this morning. We have been talking about unstoppable love as our theme. And uh, the last session I shared with you from John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you, say it again, that you love one another. That was what I shared on, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. But this morning, I would like to focus on the next verse, that is in verse 35, John chapter 13 and verse 35. It says here, by this, shall we read together? By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Again, the theme is on love one another. But here, the emphasis is not just within the body of Christ, but also outside of the body of Christ. By this, everyone, some verses say all people, all men, everyone, the whole world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So this morning, I'd like to share on show and tell. Love one another, show and tell. That phrase show and tell is a kind of a method of instruction, method of education, method of learning and teaching actually. In other words, the students are asked to bring along an object. They bring along an object, anything it can be, all right? They bring along an object, maybe a Bible, maybe a caterpillar, whatever it is, they bring and they show it to the class, uh, uh, to, the, to, the, to the class, and after that, they tell. They share the story. They, they, they tell what it is and begin to give a description and the characteristics of the object that is shown. So that is what it means when we say show and tell. But I think it is appropriate for each and every one of us when we talk about love to also show and tell. Show and tell. Turn to your neighbor and tell, and tell your neighbor, show and tell. Now, some of us are very good in showing only, but never telling. But some of us are very good in telling, but never showing. So you need both, all right? Show and tell. It was Napoleon Bonaparte who wrote, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself founded empires. But what foundation did we rest the creations of our genius upon force? Jesus Christ founded an empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. The kingdom of God is founded on love, not the sword, not by force, but it is love. And that's why the kingdom of God is so, so strong, unshakable, because 
of His unstoppable love. How are we to live out this love? The first thing is to show love. All men will know that you are my disciple if you have love among yourselves. Show the love. William Shakespeare says, they do not love, they do not show their love. Some people will say, I love you, I love you. But the women say, show me that love. We may say that we love a person, but by our very action shows that we are indifferent, we don't care. Or it's counterfeit love even. Show that love. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He says here, by loving one another, we know we are Christians. How do we know that a person is a Christian? Not by the clothes that a person wears. Not by the t-shirt, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Not even by just coming to church. Not by a car sticker. There's only one badge. There's only one identification of whether a person is a Christian or not. He says, by love. The world will know that we are Christians and we will know that we are Christians by the love that we have. In other words, and listen church, in other words, if we do not have that love, we may not be Christians. The defining characteristic the mark of a true Christian, a believer, is love. A person cannot be a Christian and go around hating others, tearing down others, complaining about others, never showing that kind of love at all. We will doubt and question the person's salvation. But even the most hardened criminal who have only known hatred all his life, when touched by the love of Jesus Christ, saved by the grace of God, will be transformed by the love of Jesus Christ. He may not be the most loving person in the world, but a transformation has come and love begins to show in his life. Now, this, is, this doesn't mean that well, we will be the most loving person in the world and we become lo uh, so, so, uh, 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 it's so easy to love everybody. No. It is a transforming work of God. But the defining characteristic, the mark of a true Christian is what? Love. It's not the fame. It's not the social status. It's not how many tansri or datos that we have in the church. It's not how wealthy the church is financially. It's not how well connected we are politically. There's only one characteristic of a Christian and of the church as well, and that is love. You see, usually people gather together because of mutual attractiveness or mutual interest. You can easily go outside and find different kinds of groups. Every morning when I open the, the curtain of my condominium, I look out into Tamanjaya, and, and, and there near the lake there, there's a, there's a group of people, you know, doing Tai Chi. They are bounded together because of common interests. And you can easily find such groups. Go to the golf course. There are people who love to play golf. Go to the disco. There are people who like to dance and sing. Go to the equestrian. There are people who like horse, you know, horsing, you know, uh, riding horses. And there are different kinds of groups. But the church is the only one that is founded upon the community of love, not by mutual interest. 
not by mutual attractiveness even, but because of the one who have died on the cross, who bowed down and washed the feet of the disciples and said, as I have loved you, love one another. And by this, the world will know you are my disciple. The church is known by love. By loving one another, we know we are Christians. But by loving one another, everyone will also know we are His disciples. That's what the Bible says in the NRV version. By this, everyone will know. And the everyone here is not just the Christians among themselves forming a holy huddle and loving one another and never caring about the outside world. No. The whole world, the outside world, the pagan, the heathen, the hypocrites, the ungodly, everyone will know. Let's say it together. Everyone will know. By loving one another, everyone will know we are His disciples. And that is powerful. What is the church known for? Some churches are known for great music. Can we have great music here? Some churches are well known for its preaching, solid preaching. And we have some of the finest and most solid preaching here. Somebody say amen. Some are known because of their charismatic pastor with great charisma, personality. Different churches are known for different things. Some are known for its community outreach works, some for missions. But guess what? Jesus never mentions any of these. There are a lot of other outside organizations that they, can, they can do all of these things and even better than the church. But Jesus says, one thing the world cannot do, one thing that will stand out as the primary evidence of the genuineness and the power of the gospel is love. Everyone will know. You are Christian. You are my disciples if you love one another. I have yet to, re to really come across a church that is known exclusively almost all over the world because of its love for one another. Wouldn't it be great if, if Glad Tidings stands out and if people ask, what is Glad Tidings? People can straight away say, and, and, and not us, but outside people say, oh, the, the church is well known. Oh, the people just love one another. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be the kind of church that we want to belong, that we want to portray to the world? A church that loves one another. We stand out for the love that we demonstrate, not just to each other, but also even to the people outside. Friends, that is the characteristic. Everyone will know. So Jesus gave this command to the disciples. Did it work? After his death, after his resurrection, and after, the, after Pentecost, and on that day itself, 3,000 souls were added into the kingdom of God. And by the end of Acts chapter 2, Wow, they begin to demonstrate that love that Jesus was talking about already. Not just the power of the Holy Spirit in signs and wonders, but love in that community. By the time you reach the end of chapter 2, wow, this was the perception the people outside, head of the church, 
having favor with all the people. The people saw the genuineness of the faith. Hey, it really works. In a fractured community, divided by race, divided by ranks, divided by gender, separated by hatred, there they saw love. How the disciples love one another. They were willing to even sell off everything. They cared for one another so much. And because of that, the Lord added to their number daily. Souls were just added into the kingdom of God. There is such attractiveness to love. That was the perception of the people concerning the church. 100 years later, Tertullian, the church father, 100 years after, after the Apostle John, actually, all right, 100 years, a century after the Apostle John, you know, Tertullian, the church father, wrote about the persecution of the early church. They were ferociously persecuted, you know, and, and, and many were thrown into prison, many died for their faith. But in spite of the persecution, Tertullian wrote of the Christians, or rather of the perception of the people, of the pagan towards the Christian, in spite of the persecution, the unbelievers, the world says of the people, of the Christians, see how they love one another. How they are ready even to die for one another. Wow! Nothing can stop love. Prison, death, see how they love one another. That was the perception of the outside world towards the church in the first and in the second century. And now we are living in the 21st century. How does the world perceive the church? Can they turn around? And in the words, in the description, or in the code of Tertullian says, see how the church people love one another. Can they still say that of the church? Unfortunately, no. There's a book written by Dan Kimball. The title of the book is very catchy. They like Jesus, but not the church. The perception of the world towards the church is down. Way down. They have no problem with Jesus. Actually, the world does not have any problem with Jesus. But they may have different ideas about who He is. But the problem the world has is with the church. Because the world cannot say of the church anymore. See how they love one another. Some say the church is an organized religion with a political agenda. All they are interested in is just great building, big, great buildings and collecting money. Some say the church is judgmental and negative. How come the church is now known for what it stands against rather than what it stands for? Everything, every time just emphasizing on the negative aspects of society, what we are against. We are against homosexuality. We are against abortion. We are against this and that. But what are we for? The church is dominated by males and oppressors females. Is that true or not? Don't give an answer, okay? In some cases, it's true. For many, many years, until in recent years, females cannot be ordained into the ministry. But now many denominations do that. The church arrogantly claims all other religions are wrong. The church is full of fundamentalists who take the whole Bible literally. 
And somehow the perception of the world towards the church has become so negative. Now, we are not here to argue whether they are right or whether they are wrong. Maybe there's a mixture of both. But we know what Jesus Christ said. But these all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. First John 4, 21. I, the way the Message Bible puts it, the command we have from Christ is very blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. You cannot just say, I love God and I don't love people. The problem with many Christians is we wear a T-shirt that says, I will love you when you are more like me. When you, are, when you begin to think more like me, accept my ideas, I will love you. But Jesus never put any of those qualifications there. Just say, love one another. And perhaps the church has been pushing the gospel down people's throat, forcing people into the kingdom of God out of pure zeal but no knowledge, bashing people with the gospel perhaps, and because of that, he has created a negative perception rather than loving, loving. Fred Craddock, he's one of the most popular preacher in America. When I studied there, everybody had to study his book. He told of one day when he, he told a story about his father. His father has been a churchgoer for many years, but suddenly he just dropped out. Somebody, perhaps somebody in the church offended him, hurt him so much that he left the church. Many people tried to bring him back to the church, but he always give them and tell them, the church is not interested in me. The church, they are just interested. And the phrase that he uses, another number, another pledge. That's all that the church is interested in. Another number, another pledge. That means getting money from him. And adding another number to the statistic of growth. And so the church will many times have revival meetings and uh, the evangelists will also take time to just go and visit him, Frank Redos' father, to just uh, come to attend a revival meeting. But he says, I'm not interested. All that the church is interested in is another number, another pledge. So nobody could reach him. But one day he was diagnosed as having cancer. He was admitted in the hospital. And Frank Redock finally managed to visit the father in the hospital. And he was shocked by what he saw. First of all, he saw the father who was a big-sized fellow who had now shrunk to just about 75 pounds. But he was also amazed by what he saw in that hospital room. It was filled with flowers. Filled with flowers. And he took the time to read the cards, you know, and where they are from. And he discovered that most of those flowers were from the church members who knew the father, who visited the father and just, you know, flowers everywhere. And he was so touched. By the time, the father couldn't speak already. So he asked his son, Frank Redolf, for just a notepad. And he wrote on the words, on the, on, on the notepad there, he, since he couldn't speak, he wrote the words of Hamlet. The words of Hamlet, he quoted Hamlet that says, when it's difficult to draw my breath, tell my story. When it's difficult to draw my breath, tell my story. And Frederick asked, Father, what is your story? 
And the father wrote another line on the notepad that says, I was wrong. The father acknowledged that he was wrong. Not by argument. Not by forcing the gospel down his throat. But because of the demonstration of love by Christians, he saw that even on his deathbed, he saw the outpouring of love from Christians whom he has shunned and accused them of all kinds of things. And yet they never gave up on him. They never forced their views on him. They never argued with him. They just showed love to him and allowed God to work out in his own time in the heart of this man to know the love of God. And because of that, he got saved. Came back to the kingdom of God. Love one another. By this, will all men know that you are my disciple. So how do we show love? What are the indications of love for one another? Romans chapter 1, verse 8 to 12, Paul wrote to the Roman Christians, and you can tell immediately, oh, Paul, he was filled with this unstoppable love. Filled with unstoppable love. He had a great love for the believers in Rome. And it was only through his letter he exposed his heart. How do we know the love of God in a person's heart? Paul showed it. First of all, through thankfulness. He said in verse 8, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Paul was thankful for the believers. Loving hearts are thankful hearts. We are thankful for one another. In fact, Paul was so thankful to God for the believers in Rome. They were an extraordinary example of the faith. Throughout the whole world, people know about their faith and obviously also about their love. They were so united. It doesn't mean that everybody agreed with everybody. There were disagreements, I'm sure, but they work it out and they still love one another. And Paul was so thankful. Loving hearts are thankful hearts. If you loved your wife, you would thank God for your wife, wouldn't you? Amen? You would thank her, you would thank her for every small thing, for every kind of things. You are just so thankful. Love shows itself through thankfulness. Love shows itself also through prayer. For God, whom I serve in my spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of His Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making requests. Loving hearts are prayerful hearts. Paul says, unceasingly, I make mention of you. The more that you love a person, the more you will think about the person, right? And think not just romantic thoughts. In this case here, it was... Prayer been made even for the believers. Paul thought a lot about the Roman Christians. That's how we know that he has such deep, unstoppable love for the believers there. And not only that, he says, fellowship. For I long to see you. I long to see you. Now, that is love, isn't it? When you love somebody, you long to see the person. So that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Fellowship is so very important to indicate, to show, to demonstrate that we love one another. We cannot be an isolationist and say, I am full of the love of God. Love is demonstrated and shown in our interaction with one another. He longed for the believers. That's why 
we emphasize on cell group. That's the best place to demonstrate and to show the love of God. A place where you can care for one another. The church is not just where you just come and hear a sermon or sing some songs and just go back and do your own thing again. No, we are connected. Now, a church of our size is very hard to connect. We know in, uh, after the service and all that, we try to do that by providing some tidbits at the end of the service, by providing lounges and all those kind of things that you can hand out, by even providing 10-cent coffee. Have you heard about that? For you to hang around longer, to fellowship with one another. another. But that is not really sufficient. You must be connected to the cell, the fellowship of the people of God. I've seen the cell in action. When somebody's uh, 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 loved one passed away, the cell immediately shows such love and care. They stand with each other. They know you by your first name. The fellowship. That's where we begin to demonstrate the love of God. And so, love like Jesus by this, they will know. Show. Show that love. Show and tell. But showing itself is not enough. If you want to win the world for the Lord Jesus Christ, it is not just about showing love. The Buddhists can show love the Muslims can show love. And we, if we show love without saying anything about the source of this love, it's just a humanitarian thing. Although our love is unconditional, although our love is agape love, the source is in God itself, but people will not know it unless we share it, unless we tell it. There are people who say, oh, all you need to do is to win people to the Lord Jesus Christ is just show love. And they never say a thing about Jesus Christ. They can love for 10 years, 20 years. The person doesn't even know that the source of this love is Jesus Christ because there is no telling. There is no telling. There is only the showing. They see love there. Yeah, the person is a nice fellow, loving person. But we have to, at some point, we have to tell people our story, our love story with God, the source of this love, and what makes us different from all others. That's where the telling comes in. And we have to tell our story. Not just showing love, but telling your story. Every one of us has a story to be told. Tell your story. Turn to your neighbor and say, show love and tell your story. Tell your story. Yes. Your story is God's story. The story of God's love for you. How when you were once sinner, once a sinner, Christ Jesus came and died on the cross for us gave Himself for us, accepted us, loved us, no matter who we are. It is a love story. The story of God's love for you. I have that story. You have that story. It is God's love story. Everyone has a love story. It tells how much God loves you and how far he went to win your heart. We have to tell our story. Sometimes we misunderstand what the Great Commission is. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Okay, so we went into all the world and we tried our best to convert the whole world. Preaching a fire and brimstone kind of a sermon. And we wonder why nobody responded. We think that it is our task. But what, what is our task? What is not our task? We are not called to convict the world around us of their sin. 
There are some Christians who are very good in that, telling everybody, you're a sinner, 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 better repent. There is a telling, but there is no showing of the love. We try to do the work of the Holy Spirit. Hey, conviction is the work of the Holy Spirit, right? It is the Holy Spirit who will convict. But we try to do the work of the Holy Spirit to convict them with our judgmental message. And we are not called to convince people to believe what we believe. No. It's more than theology, it's more than dogma. We are not called to convert anyone. We cannot save anyone. None of us, how brilliant we are, how scholarly we are, how intellectual we are, how well we may know the Bible, how great an experience we may have of God, we cannot save anyone at all. Jesus says, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Jesus himself will do that. Conversion is a work of God, not of us. So because of that, we, we think that well, it's our job. So that's why many of us dare not share our story. Dare not tell our story because we think that we have to do all of this. No. That's not what the Great Commission is. One thing we have to do, though, is to tell the story. We have to tell the story. Mark chapter 5, verse 1 to 20. There was this man who has no name. He is just known as Legion because there was a legion of demons inside him. Live in a cemetery. Nobody could control him. There was the howling. His howling cries broke the silence of the night many times. And it is not just the howling of a dog. Sometimes dogs, dogs can howl very pitifully like that. Oh, you okay, But this is even worse. It pierces through the night. And so one day Jesus landed there and Jesus healed him, delivered him. And he was in his sound mind. But there be people that did not want Jesus because they have lost even the pigs that went, the swine that went into the sea. And they know that they are dealing not just with an, extra, uh, an ordinary person. They asked him to leave, so Jesus left. And as he was going to, into the boat, this man by the name of Legion says, let me follow you. I want to go with you. You have done so much for me. I owe you my life. I want to, to be your disciple. I want to follow you. And the disciples were thinking how Jesus Christ would react. Some of them think, ah, Jesus, quick, quick, accept him. He will be a good testimony. This kind of testimony, very hard to find. People will be convinced by this kind of testimony. And after all, you know, he, he's alone. He can do a lot of things. He's not attached to a family. He's not, he doesn't have any family responsibilities. He will be a good missionary. That's what we think, isn't it? But lo and behold, Jesus told this man, no, you cannot follow me. You cannot follow me. What I want you to do is go. Go home. Tell your friends. Tell your family members. Tell the people what great things the Lord has done for you. Go and tell. Go and tell your story. This man was, I mean, he was a demon-possessed person. Doesn't know anything about theology. Have no real friends, and yet here was Jesus just sending him into the field and just say, hey, all you need is just your story. What great things the Lord has done for you. Go and tell. He doesn't know the salvation plan even. 
He just knows the Messiah has saved him and he can do the same for you. That's all. There's another story in John chapter 9, verse 25 of a man who was healed from his blindness. And there was a great controversy because Jesus did it on the Sabbath. The religious leaders did not like it. And so questioned this man about what happened, about whether he was like this and like that and all that because they couldn't accept it. And finally they asked him, who is this person who healed you? Because they knew. They wanted to frame up Jesus, that he was a sinner, not the Messiah. And they questioned him over and over, interrogate him, worse than the MACC, interrogated, until finally he said, hey, concerning this man, whether he is a concerning Jesus, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And that's a fact. That's my story. I don't know a lot of things. I don't know about Jesus. But I know one thing. I was blind. But now I see. And that story is a gripping story of salvation. Many times we do not share our faith because... There are a lot of things that we think we do not know. Oh, what if they ask me this question and that question and I cannot answer that? You may be like this blind man. I, I don't know a lot of things. But one thing I know, I was a sinner. Jesus saved me. He changed my life. He gave me meaning in my life. He gave me joy. He forgave all my sins. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. And there's a powerful story there. Just like the Samaritan woman, John chapter 4, verse 29. She doesn't know a lot of, a, a, a lot of things. She was a sinner who had had five husbands. But when Jesus confronted her and she realized, hey, this is the Messiah, all she did was she went back into the village and said, hey, come and see, come and see. Can this be the Messiah that we have been looking for? I don't know everything about him, but you judge for yourself. I have encountered him. And he's more than a prophet. He told me everything I am. Everything I've done. And the whole village, the Samaritan village, believe in Jesus because of her story. Wasn't theological. Wasn't foolproof argument. But just telling her story. What is your story? That's what the world is looking for. The Institute for American Church Growth asked 10,000 people, what was responsible for your coming to church? 2% said I had a special need. 3% said I just walk in. 6% said I like the preacher. 1% said just a visit. 1% said I like the Sunday school. 3% says I like the programs. But 79% says, somebody invited me. Somebody told me. Somebody shared the story. So many times we wait for the big names to come and preach the gospel to us. I think the greatest evangelist in our era is none other than the evangelist Billy Graham who just passed away last Wednesday at the age of 99. After preaching for about 70 years of ministry, since 1947 when he set up his first 10th crusade, and it is estimated that he has preached to over 215 million people. And one out of six Americans have heard Billy Graham personally. It's one out of six Americans. And
And I remember when we were still in Bible school in 19, the 1970s. I mean, Billy Graham was the name. He's the preacher. Thousands and millions of souls getting saved. And we in the preaching class, everybody tried to be like Billy Graham. Who do you like to be? Like Billy Graham. And you know Billy Graham has, has a style, and every preacher follow his style. They will take the Bible, and they will stand at least and say, The Bible says, ah, this is Billy Graham's posture. <laughs> Billy Graham's posture. The Bible says. That's his famous quote. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He has gone home to be with a wife and to be with the Lord that he loved. But in one of his crusades in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Leighton Fraud, his colleague in the ministry, was preaching that night. He wasn't preaching, he was supposed to preach the following night. So he came in an overcoat and you know, he decided not to sit in the front where all the VVIPs are, but he decided to join the crowd at the back. So after the preaching and all that, Lincoln Fraud just gave uh, an altar call, invited people to come forward and accept Jesus Christ. And Billy Graham was at the back, he looked around and he saw this elderly man. And he asked the elderly man, would you like to accept Jesus Christ? If you like to, I would love to just go down the aisles or, or go down to the front with you. He's, a, he's an evangelist. Whether he's preaching or not, he's winning souls. Many, you know? So he says, oh, would you like me to, to just go down to the, to the front with you to accept Jesus Christ? The man looked at him. He looked at Leighton Ford. And he says, uh, no, no, no. I think I will wait for the big guy to come tomorrow night. He didn't know that the big guy that he was referring to, Billy Graham, was right in front of him, but he was waiting for the big guy. Then he can say, I got saved in Billy Graham's crusade. But that's a problem with, with evangelism. We are waiting for the big guy to do the job. Bring in the evangelist. We got the money, we can pay. Let him preach the gospel. We forgot about the little shots. And it's the little shots that God is using. The delivered man, the man who was delivered from demon possession, legion, doesn't even have a name. The man who was born blind, the Samaritan woman, who were they? Ordinary folks with a story. You don't have to wait for Jesus to appear in person or for another Billy Graham before somebody got saved. It's each and every one of us who have a story to tell. So tell your story. From the same passage, Romans chapter 1, that I quoted earlier, verse 8 to verse 12, we talk about his love, Paul's love for, for the believers. But here, he continues on to share about his love for the lost. Paul's deep love for the lost was a driving force behind everything he did. He, he had an obligation of love to the people and he loved the people. There was an intentional sharing. Verse 13 to 14, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you so that I may obtain some fruit among you, including the fruit of souls being saved, even as both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. He wanted to come and share the gospel there. It was intentional. We do not see souls saved because it wasn't intentional. We have to be intentional in our sharing. Make it a plan. Make it a driving force. Make it a priority. Verse 15, So for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Jerome. There was that eagerness to share the gospel. He was compelled by the love of Jesus Christ. Is there an eagerness to share our story? Or have we lost it completely? And coldness has set in our heart. 
And he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Unashamed to tell his story. So what's your story to this morning? What is your story? Don't underestimate the power of your story with God. Each one of us have a story. How you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. How He saved you. How He continued to protect you, to provide for you, even through the tough times. And all that the world needs to hear. It's not you arguing the Bible with them or argue about evolution and this and that, but just to share their story because there is power in your story. People need to hear what God has done for you. Telling your story to bring people closer to Jesus. Question is, how will you tell your story? Every one of us has a story. But we have not learned how to tell our story. We don't even know that we have a story to tell. But I can tell you, things can turn around. And as a church, I wrestle with this question many times. What can we do as a church and as individual believers to share the gospel with people, to share our story with people? What can we do? First of all, evangelism must be the priority of our church. And evangelism is just not one person, two person doing it. We know that some, you know, praise God for the gift of evangelism. Some of you are just fantastic, you know. God is using you to win so many souls. And it is very obvious, all right. You, God, 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 you know, God, God has given you this, 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 this gift here of winning souls even for Him. But it, evangelism must not be left to the big shots. Like Billy Graham. Or to those who... I just skill in this area of winning souls to the Lord. But evangelism must be a corporate community thing, passion, commitment. It is not an individual activity, but it is the whole church being involved in evangelizing. And in order for that to happen, everyone must be equipped to share your story. And it is not as difficult as it seems to pass on God's love, to tell your story, to grow in the area of personal evangelism as a skill and as a lifestyle. How do you tell your story? You can do it. And that's why we are introducing even this, the most important seminar you can ever attend, the One Minute Witness. You can tell your story effectively in just one minute. One minute. The story doesn't have to be very long-winded. People don't want Chong Hui kind of long-winded kind of a, of, a, of a story. You go from one end to the other. No, in just one minute, you can effectively share the story. This is what the one-minute witness is all about so that you can be a witness for Jesus Christ and use this as a tool to discover the exhilaration of just sharing your faith. Many of us have never shared our faith for various reasons. We have never shared our story, maybe because of fear, maybe because of busyness, maybe because we don't know how, maybe we lack the tools, maybe we are scared. And I'm just like you, brothers and sisters. I'm just like you. I have all those feelings and apprehensions as well. But I'm looking forward to this one-minute witness seminar because I want to overcome every one of these and I want to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And you can do that also with a one-minute witness team. It is termed as a five-star evangelism seminar, one of the world's easiest faith-sharing tools. Now everyone can fly. Now everyone can share your story, all right? 
Everyone can share your story. Evangelism, everyone, everywhere. Many times evangelism, oh, we are put off by that term already. I, I cannot, it's not for me. It, it, it's for others. No. Overcome that and say, I can do it in one minute. In one minute. A gospel presentation so simple that anyone can do it. That's why it is very, very important. And we want everybody to do it. Now, Bill Hybels estimates that we walk about 115,000 miles in our lifetime. I don't know how many years that would be, but 115,000 miles you would have walked. Some even further, others less. But what if walking about 20 feet or just 10 steps meant eternity to someone? Would you put away your pride, conquer being scared, and impact the kingdom of God? And sometimes in that lift or walking in that hotel lobby or walking in that airport, 10 steps could mean eternity to somebody. If that's what it takes, will you do it? If God asks you to give Him one minute each day, would you be willing? Just one minute each day to share your story, would you do it? If you are willing to do it, friends, we can make a powerful impact because you have a story that is just waiting to be told. You have the greatest gift, your story, to be given out to others. If all of us do that, can you just imagine? One person, one minute a day. Conservatively, 1,500 GTNs. Everyone giving one minute a day. That means 1,500 minutes. That means reaching out to 1,500 persons per day. And in, the, in, in about the 300 days that we have left for 2018, we can reach 450,000 persons. It's possible. I'm not saying that all of them will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, no. But they would have heard the story of God's love. They would have heard the story of a Christian. 450 persons, can you just imagine? We can reach out this year. That's my dream. That's the dream of the church. That every one of us will show and tell. It is time to get up from our chair. It is time to get, to get off our pew and to show the world and to tell the world the love of God that has changed our life. 450 persons for 2018. But at the end of the day, brothers and sisters, it's not just the numbers. It's not just the numbers. But it's what Jesus Christ has said. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It is love. Love for one another. Love for the lost. Love that compels you to share your story. So I urge you, I would love to have every one of us here, and I mean every one of us, come for the Friday night, that's free of charge but on Saturday on Saturday morning and until afternoon the charge is you have to register it's only 10 ringgit and the 10 ringgit is more for the food and it's more for your lunch and the tea break we don't make anything from the seminar it's for your lunch and the tea break, tea break provided plus the material also alright it will change your life not just for now but when you go to eternity like Billy Graham, there's one cartoon that shows, you know, at the gate, at the gate there, people, Billy Graham walking in and there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people welcoming home, welcoming him home to heaven and say, because of you, I was saved. Let that be your testimony as well because of your story. So do not be quiet. This is your moment, church. This is your moment. This is our moment. Show and tell. It's your moment. It's our day.
It's our year. Let's believe the Lord. Let's surrender ourselves and ask the Lord to just fill us with His love that we are love one another. Show and tell. Show love. Tell your story. Let's pray.